Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 142 of the MMA Geeks Sea Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the unworthy contender to my Valentina Shevchenko, Nikolai W. Braccia. I don't know that your middle name starts with W, but I, I went with it, Nick, and I hope that it's accurate. Yeah, it's... um. Is it William? It's, uh, well, it's William Warren. No, it's uh, it's John. Oh, shit. I just read that, that that boxer died. What boxer? That's fucked up. Did you see the guy who uh, ate like a what looked like a hard jab in the corner, and he like land, and then he, he landed a shot. I think he might have even gotten a knockdown. And then after the referee separated him, he turned around yes. and started he started throwing punches at the air, Nick, like in the joking. opposite direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Are that guy kidding? died from a from a brain bleed. Holy shit! No, I just saw that. Sorry. That's insane, man. Bad way to start the show. I just, I just. Yeah, way it. to way to lead us into a smooth transition, Nick. Where I'm trying to figure out your your middle name. I was going to ask for your social security number next, and you're telling me about. I was, I was, I didn't think that guy was hurt so bad. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm surprised. I think that just goes to show you, like, the danger that fighters are constantly putting themselves in. Like, this wasn't. I mean, I only saw that finishing clip where the guy was throwing a flurry, and he I think he missed most of his flurry. He landed a uh, – he, he took a jab on the counter from his opponent who kind of yeah. slipped and fell out of the ring, oddly enough. And as the referee came in between them, the the guy that just took that jab just started swinging at the actual corner, the other corner of the ring. And the referee stopped the fight. He ended up – this is insane. Like, wow. It, it just goes to show you, like, a finish, yeah. like, um, like between Edson Barboza and Shane Burgos, right, where Shane, like – got hit and then it took him several seconds to start stumbling with his legs and fell back onto the cage, right? Like that could be something real fucking serious, man. Um, really goes to show you. It's very unfortunate. But Nikolai, we're here to break down, to get into, to predict every fight on UFC 275, Teixeira versus Prochalska. We've got a 42-year-old with the light heavyweight title and we've got a guy who's only 2-0 in the UFC challenging for it, Nikolai. How these two men ended up in this position I don't know, although I, I, I have followed some of their trek on the way here, Nick. We got Valentina Shevchenko, Talia Santos. Talia Santos, unfortunately, getting this title shot, I think, too early. She's got the potential. Wait, oh, yeah, we'll talk about we'll talk yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah we're, we're going to dive into all that. We got Whaley Zhang versus Joanna Janjacek. The actual, like I say this sometimes, about fights that sucked to begin with. An actual rematch that we've all been waiting for. This was one of the best fights in the history of mixed martial arts. Uh, we got a bunch of other fights, a bunch of other prospects, a bunch of other names, a bunch of stuff to look forward to this weekend. But Nick, let's quickly talk about UFC Fight Night Volkov versus Rosenstrike. We spoke about how this could be boring. And Nikolai, boring? It was not. Volkov went in there, cleaned up, and uh, Herb Dean, you know, arguably stepped in too early. It's hard to tell because, you know, you only think that it was too early because of what happened immediately after the stoppage, not what was leading up to that moment of the stoppage. So, yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about this. What did you uh, think of that Volkov Rosenstrike main event from last weekend? Listen, it's kind of like <laughs> Rosenstrike did the thing that everyone wants him to do, and it cost him the fight. I mean, he swung, he swung wild. I I don't think it was even a counter. I think it was just like I think it was a lunging, kind of like looping hook, and he and he missed it, and it kind of put him off balance a little bit. And Volkov was just more technical, um, you know, touched him up and landed landed a couple of power shots in there and once he once like Rosenstrike's equilibrium went Volkov saw it and like just put him in it put him in a bad position and 
I think the thing that Rosenstrike did that um, probably made for the fight stoppage was I think in trying to get up, he sort of turned his back a little bit. And, and uh, I, I don't, you know, I mean, not just because I had the pick, but I didn't, it, I didn't think it was the worst stoppage I'd ever seen. No, I'd say not the worst stoppage you'd ever seen for like, and you know, a couple of debuting UFC fighters. I just think in the main event at heavyweight, where guys are known for their ability to recover, you give a guy like Rosenstrike who's got seventy-five kickboxing wins. I think you can give him a little bit more leeway, but I'm not gonna hate yeah. the stoppage. I just feel like you gotta factor in these fighters in particular. It was. I don't think. It, I don't think it was a perfect stoppage, but I don't think it was like it is what it is. Sometimes it's gonna be a little conservative. Herb Dean has done way fucking worse, that's for sure. Uh, and to, to be fair, Herb Dean's, you know, uh, mostly a good referee. He just has these mishaps that are fairly bad once in a while. I don't think this was necessarily one of them. But yeah, man, uh, Volkov trading with the new team now. I spoke about how I'm really concerned about him lately. He has not been looking that good. He hasn't been looking motivated. He hasn't been looking in shape every time, right? Some of his performances leading up to this one were honestly disappointing. They, they were kind of, even, even in a win, occasionally, he would look fairly bad. In that matchup against Marching Terbera prior to his complete blowout at the hands of Tom Aspinall, right? Cyril Gaon completely overwhelmed him, uh, or I shouldn't say overwhelmed him, but clearly was just like two steps above at all times, did whatever he wanted, um, and it seemed like Volkov had no answer. So we get one of those kind of Walt Harris, Alistair Overeem kind of performances from him in this one, and I can appreciate that. It sucks for Jarzinho, who... You're right, he's changing up his style, right? Um, he's going from being almost purely a counter-striker, just waiting for his opponent to commit to something so he can counter with bombs, to now actually actually being aggressive. But when you're that aggressive, Nick, when you're on the front foot, you put yourself in danger, right? And you motivate a guy like Volkov, who's got a decent size and reach advantage on you, to pop you three or four times. And man, from a guy with that kind of power throwing with confidence, it's going to likely hurt you. Really, really impressive stuff by Volkov. He knew he had to do it because, like I said last week, if Volkov was going to keep the, with the distance Volkov was going to be able to keep, Rosenstrike, he wasn't going to be there for the counters. There'd be nothing there to counter. Well, it's tricky because this is Rosenstrike's second matchup in which he's he's like mentally kind of trying to be more aggressive, right? Because the big uh, the big criticism of him, particularly in that Sarah Gon fight and several fights before, was that he does almost nothing forever. And now he's just trying to put his foot to the pedal. There isn't in between there. Right, you can take moments and opportunities. And to be fair, I don't think he did much wrong in this matchup. I think he just got caught and and the fight was stopped. But but you know you you can't be overly aggressive as the only solution to being super timid. There is something in between. You can be a little bit more crafty with it. And I think that's kind of the 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 middle ground that he has to find. Hopefully, he wasn't too concussed in this one. He can come back, you know, for his sake sooner than later. But. Uh, maybe a little bit of a break isn't the worst thing for him after after experiencing this TKO. Alexander Volkov does look really good. He's tricky because he's fought so many of the top guys at this point. Um, do you have anybody in mind for him next, Nick? I am currently looking at our rankings, assuming that I will get there quicker than you. How about some How about some Blagoy Ivanov, Nick? I know he's like in that number 15 spot, but he's a really successful UFC fighter, and, and I, I think that's a... Volkov matchup that makes sense at this point. Derek Lewis rematch, I think, might make sense as well. Even though Lewis is coming off of a couple losses, Lewis is still ranked above Volkov. So this could be Volkov's way of of inching himself and Tom Aspinall up a couple spots. I would actually give him the loser of Curtis Blades, Tom Aspinall. Uh, well, he wouldn't fight Tom Aspinall again after getting smoked by him, right? So it would be Blades. Oh, yeah, or yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and he already fought. He already fought Blades. To be fair, in a competitive fight, I could see if Blades loses that matchup, a rematch maybe makes sense there. I would probably lean toward the rematch with Derek Lewis, though. 
Well, he wants. I think he wants gone. But yeah, if Lewis wins his next fight, maybe he wants the gone rematch. I um, more than the, more than the Lewis rematch. I, I'm fine with. I'm fine with either of them. I think he probably beats Derek Lewis um, if he wants to get that one back. But I tend to think so too. This version of Derek Lewis versus this version of Volkov. As long as Volkov shows up, he should take care of business. I think maybe even finish him honestly. Yeah. Um, and then we have a uh, Mofsar Evlov, Danny Gay, Nikolai Mofsar Evlov just dominated this really skilled guy. Like I spoke about how Danny Gay, when he loses, it's too like the very best. And the question was, is Mofsar Evlov quite there yet? Especially after his last couple of performances where he's been looking a little bit more human, right? That Hakeem Duwadi third round wasn't looking too good for him. He lost a round or two to, to Nick Lentz. There were moments early in that Mike Grunday fight where, you know, things were a little bit uh, a little bit stressful for him, even though he always comes through, right? He came through here, he dominated the whole goddamn matchup. Not only was his striking crisp, not only is that continually improving, not only is that sharp, but his wrestling continues to be dominant. His top position game is fantastic. If, if you get up, you're just going to get hit again, right? And if you're standing with him, you're probably going to get slammed to the floor and controlled. Uh, most of our love is something special, unfortunately. The finish still eludes him, right? Not, I guess, in some ways, unlike uh, Kamar Usman on his way up. He wasn't getting those finishes a whole lot, was he? And he hit a certain stride and developed his game, developed snapping his punches, started believing more in his stand-up, and now he's getting guys out of there. So, Mofsar Evlov looking fantastic, but he still needs that, I think, signature highlight reel uh, finish. Yeah, I mean, it's not a... There's a lot of guys who, who get a lot of decisions in this uh, in this division. You got the Egays, the Mitchells, the um, you know even Max Holloway gets gets like you know quite a few quite a few decisions. Calvin Qatar doesn't finish tons of fights. It's there's uh so I don't knock him too much for that, but there's a lot of but all these guys you mentioned do have some finishes. But you're making a good point. This guy's only six and zero in the UFC, right? He's he's yeah. you know just kind of building that game, and also in his uh, early, to, I think he's twenty four. What is he? Twenty eight years old actually. He's getting he's getting up there toward his thirties. So you know the time is now, and he's asking for some top flight opponents. Yeah, um, who did he call out? Uh, he said somebody was running from him. I can't recall right now, Nikolai, but it wasn't named. Uh, well, the fight I the fight I want to see is is him against Arnold Allen. Yeah. Oh, that's that's what we call that. I'm sorry. That's exactly what we call that. I think I think that would be fantastic. Arnold Allen has a lot to lose and not much to gain in that matchup since he's ranked uh, he's ranked above Evlov, right? So, like, how much does he have to gain by taking that match? Let, let me quickly look at the rankings. Evlov is number ten. Arnold Allen is number six, right? Why wouldn't Arnold Allen want to yeah. want to work his way up and, and fight the the Calvin Caters? He's still ranked below Chang Sung Jung, right? Yair Rodriguez, Brian Ortega, Max Holloway. These are the guys that. Arnold Allen should be looking at it as his next opponent. Arnold Allen will. Arnold, you're right. Arnold Allen will probably get the winner of the Calvin Cater Josh Emmett fight. There is talks uh, that the Cater Emmett. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't envision those guys getting a title shot. So I think you're right. That would be that would make a lot of sense. Even though Josh Emmett is ranked one below Arnold Allen, a win over Cater would put him above Allen, and I think that would be the, the right answer. But yeah, I, I don't think it's realistic that if I was Allen, I wouldn't take that fight. It's all risk and no reward. The guy's ranked below you. Below you, you beat him. You stay exactly the same in the rankings. You're not getting any 
closer to a title shot if you lose to him then you just lost your well then let's then that's then let's see let's go let's do a grappler grappler and throw him in there with bryce mitchell and see what happens i am so fucking into that prospect versus prospect that needs to be like a main event i want that to be five rounds i want these guys to start hitting those five rounders so that when they are facing the very top in a main event or something they're ready for it uh lewis lucas almeida mike trezano you know i underestimated lucas almeida mostly because of his uh, contender series fight right where he looked pretty good early, and he was touching up. Uh, who was it? Uh, Italo Trinan? No, uh, it was Daniel Zellhuber. And man, Daniel just took over. Daniel's like a really young kid. He's like he's like 23, 24 years old or something. He just took over uh, against this veteran and looked good in that second and third round. Was able to get that top position. It looked to me like Lucas was tired in that fight, and so I didn't believe in his cardio. I thought that he uh, it would make for a firefight early, and he was winning most of the first round before he got knocked down. Man, second round, he continued the pressure. He hurt Trezano on that one. And then finally finished him in the first minute of that third round. Super fucking impressive stuff. Mike Trezano's a tough guy. He's a tough winner. Um, he's got he's got some pretty respectable wins. He's got a competitive decision loss to Hakeem Duadu. Uh, he's got a loss to Grant Dawson, but he beat Ludovic Klein. He beat Luis Pena. Um, and, you know, you, you, you would have expected a little bit more from him than to lose to his debuting fighter. But Lucas Almeida is fun to watch. And he's got the cardio to keep putting that kind of power out there. This was an impressive win by this kid, man. Super exciting fight, too. Yeah, it was awesome. Special mention to Kareem Silva, who came out with a submission win over Pollyanna Padella, who is not a very good fighter. I thought her experience would win out. I was wrong. That was one of my bad picks. But we both actually did a really good job picking in this event, Nick. You ended up shrinking my lead from nine points to eight because you got a point in this last one. But I had, I had to go with – I continued after she burned me so many times. I picked against Carolina Kovacevic, uh, and she actually won. You know what it is, Nick? I, I think you have a bit of a weakness in picking women's fights. It's, it's a weakness. That is <laughs> – It kind of is. If you look at your recent record, like it's kind of 500-ish. Um, some of these fights are really hard to pick, man. A lot of that is not true. My, my, my record of picking women is not 500-ish. Uh, lately, I feel like it kind of has been. No? Let me see. I don't, last, think, I don't think so. You picked Felice Herrick, and that was your only wrong pick I, last week. So, you know, can't can't really complain about that one. The prior week, you know what? I don't have my notes. I don't have my notes for the prior week. We, we can look oh, into this. Andrea, look Andrea into this. Lee is someone you picked recently, right? Um, like, although you did get Caitlin Chukagan on that card as well. Uh, I'm just saying, again, like closer to 500 than you think it is lately. These fights are hard to fucking pick, man. I think sometimes maybe, you yeah, maybe, them a little maybe lately. Yeah, it's also hard to tell with those two girls who were who were like really hard to predict that fight because both girls have looked really bad coming off of layoffs, uh, losing streaks, etc. Right, you, you're not expecting much from them, and you don't realize that Carolina switched to ATT, which maybe we should have scouted that. And I didn't realize that Felice Herring was. I mean, I kind of did allude to that. How Felice Herring is doing other things. She's not really focused on fighting. She doesn't seem. Uh, she doesn't seem that much into it, and and that kind of uh, bore itself out. Um, and outside of that, I think, you know, special mention to Joe Selecki, uh, a decent decision win uh, over Alex Da Silva. And we had Aaron Branchfield, who was something special, man, like finishing J.J. Aldridge the way that she did by, by guillotine choke. And we've seen J.J. Aldridge multiple times now win the first round and then lose either a decision after that or get finished shortly after that. So there's there's something she needs to fix because she has the skill, man. She was touching Blanchfield uh, up, just could not close the show. Uh, Nick, I think that's gonna do it for UFC Fight Night. Well, I just, I just want to, I want, I do want to mention, although, like after the fight, people have been coming down on Jeff Molina for wearing UFC Pride shorts, which oh, I'm man. glad, and he's a smart guy. But I also think that 
that the uh, you know the, the I, I think that Zalgas uh, Zamagalov uh, deserved that win. Um, here's the thing. I, I generally agree with you. I thought that Zalgas deserved it, but I think credit was given to Molina because when Zalgas was engaging in the clinch, Molina was landing like dozens of little pitter-patter strikes. And I think the judges are starting to favor that damage more. I, I don't know why they didn't factor in the fact that Zalgas was actually landing the hardest shot standing. I think Molina's a really talented guy. has a bright future. But yeah, I do too. This was a little bit too soon. Uh, of a matchup, but he he walked away with it. So if he can pull off this thing that, you know, I've talked about before, there's the prospect loss that teaches you a lot of lessons. If he got away with this win and he can take a lot of the lessons learned from this, strength and conditioning is going to be a factor. He needs to be stronger, right? He's yeah, it's like, more. Hmm? It's, it's, ju- it's just like when Khabib lost to Gleason Tebow. Right, exactly. Right, right, like, presumably <laughs> Khabib... Presumably, Khabib learned from that, from that, uh, like quote unquote, win that a lot of people think he lost. Same thing with uh, uh, with Roman. What, what is the name of that giant Khabib-like heavyweight? Uh, Romanov, right? Is oh yeah, he he, he got away with that. Exactly, he got away with that win, even though probably should have been oh, a yeah. loss. And and he ended up looking a lot more in shape following that. We haven't tested his cardio yet, but that's a good sign, right? Like. If a prospect can get away with that, that's a huge fucking benefit. And I hope that he benefits from it. Melina, I like this guy a lot, man. Like, like there is a lot of homophobia in MMA. There's there's racism in MMA. There is, there is you know, a, a, lot, a lot of very kind of far-right tendencies, unfortunately, in mixed martial arts fandom and in mixed martial oh, it's arts. A very, it's a very American it's – be, it's become a very American sport and America sucks. You're not kidding. <laughs> and you know what? It, Brazil is kind of the same thing, dude. In Brazil, a, yeah. lot of those, a lot of those guys are pretty right-wing. They're, they're Balserano fans. And by the way, if, if, if we still have two or three listeners that are on that side of the aisle, it's all good. I'm okay with disagreeing. I, I'm just not okay with hate. And, like, if you're going to hate people for – something that they have no control over, whether it be the color of their skin, their religion, or, or their sexual orientation. Like I, you're well, fucking it's just, what's, it's what's, just what's okay. more innocuous. What's more innocuous than, a, than like having your name written in a rainbow font. A hundred percent. And it was funny as um, I saw that some of the fighters were holding up the t-shirts and I was thinking, wow, in an MMA world, like the fact that they got a handful of fighters to, to, to hold these pride t-shirts up, like I'm impressed, even though clearly it wasn't even half the fighters competing on the card, which that's fine, I guess, right? Like you don't have to hold up the t-shirt as long as you're not espousing hate. But, you know, j- just just uh, Melina, I give him a lot of props for talking about it, honestly. Like he didn't need to make this a thing. And it's it's MMA media tends to skew more on the left i think and and so they call these things out and so they were happy to cover this i'm sure a lot of their readers weren't fans of it but it's an interesting dynamic we have here in the sport and jeff molina you know he he's been my guy prior to this fight even though i picked against him i think rightly picked against him but he's been my guy before this and he's he's certainly going to continue to be my guy uh nick let's take a break we're going to come back and break down ufc 275 a lot of very exciting stuff coming up here man
back on the MMA Geek Seal of a podcast, and we're going to get into the MMA Geeks draft for UFC 275. As you all know, Nick and I take turns picking fighters on the upcoming card. We tally up the numbers at the end of the week and, and update the scoring. As of now, I'm eight points ahead of you, Nick. You get one point for a successful pick. You get two points for a successful underdog pick of one plus 150 or above. You get three points for a successful underdog pick of plus 250 or above, Nikolai. The opportunities for you to catch up to me, my friend, are there. Uh, Eight-point difference between us now. You've gotten us a little bit closer. I have the first pick this week, Nick. And you know what? On a Valentina Shevchenko card is the time to do it. Look, Valentina Shevchenko is the greatest pound-for-pound female fighter on the planet. I've I've called her the most technical, uh, the most skilled pound-for-pound female fighter on the planet for a long time. She might be the most skilled overall fighter on the planet, man. She's incredibly fucking talented. But she's been beaten up on these people who are not ready for prime time, right? Talia Santos is extremely talented. She is extremely athletic. She is strong. She's a big girl for the division, right? She's got the technique. She's really sharp standing. She's got power in her hands. She's got the the en- enough strength and c- combined with like enough skill to make for good offensive takedowns. She has good Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, good top position game, right? But she's taking this fight a couple of years too early. As much as beating, you know, progressively more difficult opponents in her last four UFC fights, Molly McCann to Jillian Robertson to Roxanne Modafari to Joanne Wood, right? These are like step up, step by step by step by step. But from Joanne Wood to Valentina Shevchenko, there's like a 10-step difference there, especially this version of Joanne Wood that's getting finished left and right. So I don't love her chances at this point in her career. Does she have a shot at landing a bomb on Valentina Shevchenko, whose chin doesn't get checked a whole lot? Yes. Do I think that there's a decent chance Valentina Shevchenko's extra cautious in this matchup because she's facing a legitimate athlete in front of her, which is not usually the case, right? Valentina's coming off of wins over girls like Lauren Murphy. Jessica Andrade is, is athletic, but not very skilled and tiny, right? Jennifer Maya, who had a one good round against her, is also athletic and strong, and and her most competitive fight in several years, right? Um, she's used to beating up girls that are not only leagues below her skill-wise, but leagues below her athleticism-wise. This is not the case here. Experience-wise, there's a huge difference, right? The number of reps that Valentina Shevchenko has put up over the years between her actual fights and in training, it's immeasurable, man. The fact that Talia Santos... Uh, you know, has been winning UFC fights since she's, since 2020, and she's coming up here into a title shot. Sucks. It's the same thing when Demetrius Johnson ruled over the 125 pound division. A bunch of guys who had a shot at beating him later on, if they developed their games, were thrown in there way too early. And this is the case here. I think Valentina Shevchenko wins this fight because she should be the faster fighter. She should have overall better defense. Can she be taken down or controlled for a round? Yeah, we've seen it. It's possible. It's hard to rely on it. I think Talia Santos has a good chance of coming in here with the right mindset. Um, but that's not enough given the experience gap here. I think that Valentina Shevchenko is going to snipe her standing and she might have some trouble moments when Talia Santos gets aggressive. And I see a lot of, a lot of smarts, including Kenny Florian talk about how you got to be aggressive. You got to throw the rule book out the window, but when you're aggressive against Valentina Shevchenko, that's when she finishes girls. That's when she smokes you. So it's risky to recommend for Talia to be aggressive, but she can afford to like other women can. If she's aggressive with her takedowns, she's strong enough to potentially get takedowns, right? We've seen Valentina get taken down by a couple of people who you wouldn't think could do it, including Juliana Pena and uh, and uh, Jennifer Maya. So she has the attributes to be able to get that top position. Can she do it consistently? I, I can't be sure. Do I think that it's worth a bit of a throwaway to put a couple of bucks on Talia Sanders by decision? Sure. Uh, but realistically, Valentina Shevchenko is going to win this fight. She is the best pound-for-pound fighter, and she doesn't seem any less motivated, right? 
Um, she's not like Amanda Nunes going into that matchup against Juliana Pena. She seems every bit as motivated and every bit as hardworking. On a quick side note, Nick, what I learned watching the kind of preview of the UFC, the countdown for this pay-per-view, is that you know how Valentina Shevchenko's coach is married to Valentina Shevchenko's big sister? Yes. Um, it turns out that their mother brought them to this coach when they were little girls, Nick. I'm just going to leave it at that. This is way too fucking okay. common in MMA. Go for it, bud. Yeah, I just – I think it's kind of irresponsible matchmaking. I think – Listen, this this division is still relatively lean, okay? And um, you've got a lot of prospects and, and then some experienced people on the top and not a whole heck of a lot uh, in the middle. you got the, the Jessica Eyes and the Jennifer Mayas. But Tali Santos is getting this title shot off of wins over Jillian Robertson, Roxy Mataferi, and, and Joanne Wood. Those are three fighters who main, who I don't really think are even in – I mean, I'm on, I'm on ranking MMA, not the UFC, but – you're talking about a retired fighter there who was on a losing streak. Another fighter that's probably about to retire. Like, those are not top ten victories. I I really feel like I almost would have I would have rather seen her rematch someone that she'd already fought. Uh, maybe. Um, I just think, yeah, I I, I can't th- I can't think of a fighter that's done uh, that got a, that's gotten a title shot. Um, not only that, a title shot against one of the most dominant champions in the UFC, um, if not probably the most dominant, um, by doing less. So I kind of wish that they had uh, let, like, I don't know, Chukagian run it back or or waited a little bit longer to uh, to get her, to get this fight until we had, like, say, the winner of Alexa Grasso, uh, Viviana Rojo, uh, to put in there. That's just my perspective, or the winner of, of Chukagian, Menon, Fiora. Uh, I, I think it's a, I think it's a weird, weird choice, and I, I mean we'll see what happens. But um, from a rankings perspective, an experience perspective, a quality wins perspective, I find it kind of indefensible. Well, to be fair, like it's indefensible for Chukagian to uh, for Shevchenko to fight anybody in this division, like. She is so much better. This division is in its kind of nascent stages. It's in like the 1997 stage of its progression, this specific division. It's a shit division. Let's not kid ourselves. There are very few truly talented fighters. Talia Santos is one of them, right? But she just needs more time to develop. She could beat Valentina Shevchenko maybe in a year and a half, right? If If her confidence doesn't get broken in this matchup. Maybe she can do it in a rematch. But I don't love her chances here. Like, again, she has... If Valentina Shevchenko isn't on fucking point, if she is taking her lightly, Tali Santos can get shit done, man. She is a real danger in a way that Lauren Murphy and a lot of those girls were not. So she has a, a higher chance, I think, than a lot of girls. So I think in that way, you're like discounting her a little bit. Shukagian, I would love to see the matchup between her and Shukagian in a five-rounder. Tali Santos, maybe after this is something to, that, that could happen. But, um, you know, Shukagian doesn't pose a real threat to Valentina Shevchenko, just like most of these girls don't. At least this is a fresh matchup. And it's risky with Shevchenko who wants to stay active. And the UFC wants to give her fights if she's going to stay active. She's going to co-main events at some of the big pay-per-views. So UFC is not going to keep her on the back burner for the sake of the division figure. It's like figuring itself out. What is your first pick, bud? Yeah, I'm going to go... Um, there are, I mean, it's a hard card. Hard card to pick on. I'm going to go with a men's flyweight uh, fight. I think that Manel Cap is fucking dangerous. <laughs> And a scary, powerful guy. And we've seen Bontarine, uh get hurt. And we've seen him get hurt early. 
So I feel I just um, and I feel like the way that he fights, he's not suddenly going to become uh, a lot more. You know, I don't, I don't think he's going to go into this being defensive minded and, and, you know, and super careful and try to um, and try to point fight uh, Manel Cop. And when it, I think when it comes down to uh, explosion and and power shots that Cap should I think Cap should be able to put him down by the middle of the second round. Yeah, I mean it's tricky. I like Bonterin a lot. He's he's one of the flyweights yeah, that me I've too. Been, yeah, he's one of these guys that I've been watching for a little bit. Um, but there are some concerning elements for this situation. The Brandon Roy Ball fight, um, I, it's a split decision. I can't remember. I remember it being competitive. I can't remember whether I thought who I thought won that matchup. But the Kaikara France matchup is really what concerns me. Right? Like he's one and three yes. in his last four fights, which is not good news. Lost to Ray Borg in twenty twenty. Ray Borg was a high level fighter, and Bontorin wasn't truly ready. Carl France, um, he ended up losing to by knockout. Manel Kopp has the kind of horsepower where if Kaikar France can hurt you, he can probably hurt you too. Is he as experienced as Kaikar France in the UFC? No. Does he have that game figured out to the same extent? Who knows? Like his training partners in Vegas talk about him like he's fucking gold. Like his conditioning is in a different league. He's powerful. He's athletic. He's sharp. And he's starting to become more aggressive, Manel Kopp is, now that, you know, he's heard some of that criticism in those. Close decision losses to Alexander Pantoja and Matthew Nicolau. By the way, Pantoja in your UFC debut, man. Talk about fucking rolling out the red carpet, right, for this guy. Ode Osborne, he beat with a flying knee in the first round, an aggressive opponent. Jalgazu Magulov, who's being aggressive in that matchup uh, as well, he was able to knock out in the first round. Bontorin is a pretty aggressive fighter, too. I think I think you're right. He's likely enough to run into something. But Bontorin has the talent to win this fucking fight, especially if uh, Menel Kopp has not been putting in the proper prep work. It sounds like he has been. So yeah. I do agree with you there. Uh, I think this is the right thing. And it was uh, that, by the way, mm-hmm. it was Royal Vontarine was scored an MMA, ranking MMA fourteen to three, um, in favor of Roy Val, uh, twenty nine twenty eight. Nobody had it thirty twenty seven. Um, so, but most people had it twenty nine uh, uh, twenty eight. Got it. But but see, see the even fourteen to three, like those three, shows you that it was a real competitive bout. Um, and still, look, that's the kind of fight that Vontarine should be able to win by controlling, right? Like that's how we've seen. Roy Ball, who's really fucking, like, really talented, really, really uh, dangerous opponent. Um, we've seen him controlled, and Bontorin should have the physical strength and grappling to control him. Um, I, I don't know that he's going to have the athleticism to keep Manel Cup down, even if he does bring him to the floor. So I, I'm I'm there with you on the pick. And, and again, it's so tricky to line up these picks in the right order as we kind of make them, because a lot of these fights look fairly competitive on paper. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Jack Della Maddalena and Ramazan Emiyev. Ramazan Emiyev, despite the name, Nick, is not a Dagestani destroyer by any means. He's 5-2 and two in the UFC, and I think all five of those wins are by decision. It's a snooze fest, Nick. If you are an active athletic fighter, if you're fighting in front of judges that are not going to favor holding on really tight against the fence, which we've been seeing less of lately, which is fantastic, Jack Della Maddalena has aggression should be enough is what I'm figuring in this. Now, we haven't seen him taken down. We haven't seen him challenged in the grappling department. And so this is a great kind of test for him, right, against a more experienced UFC fighter. Jack Della has a lot of hype behind him. Um, I like the guy. I, I'm going to hope that his damage is going to count more than Ramazan Amiyev's almost nothing. Like, again, he just slows down and stops the fight from happening. For the most part, he likes to take top position. He has some craft to his game. He's not super athletic. He's not, he's not Khabib-like in that you know, Khabib's athleticism would take over when his technique was a step behind. Emiyev doesn't have that kind of athleticism. He needs the perfect entrance to get a takedown. 
Um, I don't know that he's going to be able to do that enough over the course of three rounds for Jack Della not to touch him up. Jack Della has a shot at a finish here as well. So I like Jack Della at minus 160. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Um, for the next fight, I'm going to go like, I don't want to snooze on Jake Matthews. I think he's, um, you know, I don't think he's a walk in the park, but as I've proven in over the last, uh, you know, in 2022, I'm a big uh, believer and a big fan um, of Andre uh, Fialo, who's, who's fighting every month uh, practically so far this year with, fun, with fights in January, April, May, and now June um, in the in the UFC and, and looking pretty good and in, in, in getting finishes uh, or, and having a really competitive fight on short notice uh, with Michelle Pahea, whose stock continues to go up. Um, and I like, I think, I think, Ma- I don't think Matthews is going to go away. I think it'll be a, I think it'll be a, a, a pretty competitive fight, but I don't see him finishing Phalo. And I, I think that, um, you know, Phalo's kind of a front runner. He's going to come out hot and I, I, I could certainly see him. Um, and I believe he'll win, he'll win two rounds uh, just based on, on landing the bigger shots. Yeah, I am going to disagree with this one. I think this is a good underdog opportunity. Um, I am not nearly as big a believer in uh, Andre Fialo as you are. I've seen some of his losses prior to his UFC debut. You know, no shame in losing his UFC debut the way that he did, but there's some trouble spots about some of his other matchups after that, right? Like, it's not like he looked particularly good in his last matchup against arguably a jobber in Cameron Van Camp. Van Camp was touching him the fuck up. He rocked him a couple times before that left hook landed for Fialho, right? Miguel Baeza, who doesn't have the best chin, was, you know, it was a competitive first round against Baeza, right? And eventually that hook landed. So he, like, part of, I think, what he relies on is a guy with somewhat of a questionable chin in order to get that kind of win. Um, Or somebody that's susceptible to that big power shot. Michelle Pereira, he had a close decision loss to. He, he lost to Antonio Dos Santos Jr. in LFA a couple of years back. He lost to Chris Curtis. Got finished by him by ground and pound in the third round because I still have questions about his cardio. Chidi and Jokowani knocked him out in the first round of their bout a couple of years ago. Not a whole lot to be ashamed of, right? These are obviously quality fighters, although I don't know much about Antonio Dos Santos Jr. Let me see quickly. 9-4 and four record overall at this point. 8-4 and four when they fought. Um, I, 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 I'm going to go ahead and pick the underdog of Jake Matthews. If you're going to give me... an Correct me if I'm wrong. Is Jake Matthews a, a two to one underdog in this one? Let me see um, here. No, he, he's not. He's not. Not quite there. But Jake Matthews is a tough guy. Granted, the people that he's beaten are basically not in the UFC anymore. The only person is Li Jing Liang, who he beat, who's still in the UFC. Right? That's a little bit troubling. Guys like Diego Sanchez aren't exactly like shining resume parts uh, uh, on your UFC career, but. Miguel Baez and Cameron Van, Van Camp are not either. My concern is that Jake Matthews is susceptible to the left hook. And if Fialho lands that left hook clean, man, he can drop anybody. I'm going to go with Jake Matthews because I think that he's going to challenge uh, Fialho when it comes to the ground game. Not a whole lot of takedown attempts against Fialho up until now, right? Fighting a bunch of strikers in his first three UFC bets. This is a guy that has a good double leg that will keep top position, that will work from there. Not uber athletic, can be sometimes that athlete. Jake Matthews used to compete at 155, so there might be a little still bit of a, a size discrepancy here. But I like Jake Matthews to, to score a decision here. Um, I wonder what the odds are specifically on that prop. Uh, that might be something to consider. But 
511 uh, to six feet, right? Not a huge size difference. Uh, I like Jake Matthews in this one. I'm still not a believer in Fiala. Yeah, this is yeah. It's an it's an underdog pick. It, but if I had picked it, it would or if you had picked it, it would not be two points because that's not right, plus one. Right, 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 exactly. So so we we agree we disagree on this one. But again, it's it's hard to have strong feelings. Fiala might just prove to be one of these Chris Curtis like guys who had some trouble in the UFC earlier in his career. Trains with a great team, right? So he's got a lot of the a lot of the kind of ingredients to make a great fighter. He's got the natural power. He's got the aggression. But I'm still not fully a believer in his cardio, and I don't know enough about his ground game at this point in his career to be confident in him against the guy with a good double leg and a shitload of USC experience. Um, I think a lot of this depends on where Jake Matthews is mentally. I'm going to take in my next matchup. Let me see. Is this a good opportunity to take an underdog, Nick? What do you What do you think? Um, I think. I think I'm going to take. Jocelyn Edwards to beat Romana Pascal. This is not an underdog pick. It's not that high up on my list. It's hard to be confident. Romana Pascal, by the way, like you sometimes mention uh, female fighters that you're attracted to. I think Romana Pascal is a rather attractive young lady. Probably not your type at all, but I think she's cute. In any case, I don't, th- I don't think she's a great fighter. Her wins are over pretty mediocre competition. She's got a couple of early losses in her UFC, in her UFC career. She lost by knockout. Uh, in her UFC debut, and she's coming into this one against Jocelyn Edwards. Romana Pascal is kind of a brawler. She doesn't have any defense. At one point in that fight against, uh, in her UFC debut, uh, where she fought, uh, I, I got to quickly look up look up the, the name of the person that she fought, a really heavy hitter. She, like, closes her eyes and starts swinging in the pocket with someone who's known for her power, uh, Josiane Nunes. And, like, that's not the kind of shit that's going to win against Jocelyn Edwards, who might not be the best grappler. She can get taken down by a craftier, more experienced opponent. That's not Romana Pascal. I think Jocelyn Edwards is going to have the speed, the technique advantage standing, and that should be enough to outcraft uh, Romana, who might have the potential to eventually make it to the UFC and have success. But I think it's a little bit too early for her. She needs to, like, test herself outside of this promotion before she uh, she she fights some of the people here. Interesting. Okay. I think I'm going to pick Brendan Allen um, to beat Jacob Malkoon. No, Nikolai, don't pick that fight. Pick a different fight. Come okay. On. Really? Great. Wait, why? Like, why Why are you saying that? Did you want to pick that fight, or you think I'm making a mistake? Um, Both. <laughs> uh, Go ahead. Is that what your pick would be? Oh. <laughs> it, would have, it would have probably been my next pick. And you would have picked Brendan Allen? Uh, No, I probably would have picked oh, Jacob Malcolm, yeah, yeah, but cut... tell me about Brendan Allen. Oh, really? So I'm going to take Jacob Malkoon. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, you might as well just copy all my picks. What's, what's the point of any of this? No, movie? no, you now you got no. Now you just got in my head. I'm not taking this fight at all. You know, I, I, <laughs> you can really fuck me up. I'm going to go. I'm going to switch. I'm going to go with my big underdog pick for the points. I'm going to take in the main event. Go over to Shara. Um, Don't to pick retain. that fight. I'm picking the no. I'm picking this one. All right, go I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick Glover to Sherrett, and I don't know. This is a gutsy, probably stupid mistake, but I love Jiri Prochaska. He's so much fun to watch. He's so cool. Both of these guys are cool. They're such likable, like just real martial artists. Like humility, great skill. They're both awesome to watch. This is a real treat of a fight. I wish more people knew uh, Jiri. Like he is getting this fight soon. But he beat two really good guys in Volkanovski Demir and um, and Dominic Reyes. But he was basically fighting two guys who who who, who decided they were going to sit and stand in front of him and kickbox with him, um, which was you know maybe not advisable based on the skills and creativity this guy's got. Um, he has been beat, but not in a while. He got knocked out by King Mo. Um, 
we don't he's got he's tall and he has that sort you know i don't know if it's how his stance is going to do with uh against takedowns but the fact is that very few people have really beat glover Teixeira. um he's got good recoverability and durability and prochaska doesn't just like lights out guys immediately it's not an anthony johnson situation it's not an anthony johnson power his strikes are powerful but it's like he's one of these guys almost closer to like a giant Cheeto Rivera where everything he does hurts you. And over time, it's just you're just going to break because he's awesome. But it's different than an Anthony Johnson power where, or Nganu power where it's like, oh, shit, he brushed up against you and you're unconscious. Um, so what that does, though, is that means that Gober Teixeira is going to have time and space. And... You know, there's there's two things he's really good at. He's really good at, at at getting, I think, at getting guys up against the cage. He's good at getting takedowns, and he's a really good basic boxer um, who takes the shortest path to your chin. And I've you know I've seen a shot. Not it was you know four years ago, um, a shot that didn't you know that King, King Mo's punching was fine. It was it's not like he had insane dynamite, but he would catch guys off guard because they'd be looking they'd be guessing. He had some power, but really, he was a wrestle boxer who got he'd be able to hit guys really clean on the chin if um, if they were guessing takedown, and he would throw that and he would throw that left. Um, and like uh, it's so to share is to share is really good at that. He's good at he's crafty. He's I know that's an overplayed trite adjective, but. Um, he, and he's been outcrafted by John Jones. There's been people who ha- he's been, uh, you know, he's been picked apart by Alexander Gustafson. Um, but Gustafson has really good takedown defense. And Teixeira, I think, is 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 much smarter uh, than he was, a much smarter fighter than he was um, even then. So unless I just, I think the chances of Glover um, showing up, being strong, and um, finding openings in this fight, that there's a gr- and there's a greater chance of that happening to me than um, him getting overwhelmed. And so I just, I, and I could be wrong completely, and it just turns out to be an insane war of attrition. And uh, you know, and if it, if it just if it's that, if it's just a knockdown, insane knockdown dragout, pr- probably Jerry. But I. I pick I pick Glover's experience here, and the fact that Prochaska basically got knocked out in his last fight and and woke up, like he's got he gets hurt and he leaves himself open. And Tashera is going to look is going to be aware of that. So I think this is I think it's a great great matchup. I think Prochaska is probably a future champion. I think this may be his GSP Matt Hughes fight. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good breakdown there, Nick. Um, oh, thank you. I pre- you really think so? I appreciate that. Yeah, the the you know the the once in twelve episodes that this happens, I always I always you know give you give you props. So, Jerry is like, like you were talking about how Glover might have time and space. Jerry kind of builds his pressure. He's kind of a swarmer. He just like builds the offense, continues to press forward, um, and he's got like thudding shots. You're right that he doesn't have the kind of knockout power. Where he just like hits you clean once and you're absolutely out, but he does have the kind of knockout power where it's almost like, um, it's not like a snappy kind of shot, but it's like a truck running, running you over, you know, it's like a thudding boom kind of, kind of offense. And it tends to be effective, especially 
as he gets his opponents tired, as, as his pressure starts yes. to really wear, as his damage starts to wear, right? He's got decent first punch or so on the counter, but otherwise kind of backs up straight, which I could see being trouble against Teixeira. Um, he's very hittable, like you said. He can be wobbled, as you alluded to, but he recovers extremely quickly, which is probably uh, kind of a, a, a compliment to his conditioning more than anything else. There have only been two takedowns attempted on him in his UFC career, Nick. One was by Volkan Ozdemir, who has 18% takedown accuracy, right? He defended that. The other attempt was by Dominic Reyes, who took him down with a body lock trip right into half guard. And Jury just fell flat to his back. And the way the jury got up from that was getting on all fours, basically almost giving his back up to Tyson Re- uh, to Dominic Reyes, who's not known for his ground game, and then standing straight up. That's exactly the kind of thing that Glover Teixeira can uh, take advantage of. He'll right? choke. He'll choke. Yeah, he'll choke. Glover Teixeira. If you try anything like that, Glover Teixeira will choke you unconscious. There's right. no, no, like absolutely. And the thing about Glover is he also pressures, right? He loves that. Like he doesn't swarm you with the relentless just pop, 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 pop shots like Jerry does, but he does throw that overhand right left hook, which is consistent. Right, one shot comes uh, from one side of your body over the top. The other shot comes from the opposite side, so it's hard to guard, even if you kind of see it coming for a lot of guys, especially guys that back up straight up, right? Um, and he likes the, and then he kind of dives in for the takedown once that makes you back up to the fence. And he likes to work those takedowns. They're very different from, from the takedown that worked for Dominic Reyes. Dominic Reyes kind of uh, faked a couple of jabs. Jury threw his big right hand counter, and Reyes went under that and got a body lock takedown, not with an underhook, but with an overhook, and was able to get that top position. Glover Teixeira is more of a single and double leg guy, so it's a different kind of takedown because Jury being prepared for that is possible. And well, that's the and the that is a point of danger, and we saw that in the was it Randy Brown? I can't remember, but like when Glover, if Glover does that, he's got to really watch out for the elbows, and if he, um, because it can go very quickly from okay, one elbow, two elbows, I'm I'm like I'm out, like so he's got to be uh, he's got to be careful that, but he, he mixes. I think he really needs to mix up his entries and maybe you know take a page out of Reyes's book there. Um, so that he doesn't end up in that up against the cage, eating elbows to the head, because that's uh, frankly, it would be an anticlimactic way for Jerry to win, but it's certainly not an improbable one. It was Carl Roberson, Nick, that, that had God a damn it. God um, damn it. And, and those Travis Brown elbows, right? But here's the thing. We've seen Glover get hurt by many opponents. We've seen him get hurt by Tiago Santos. We've seen him get touched up seriously early by Anthony Smith. We've seen him uh, have some moments against Nikita Krylov early. We've seen him against Ian Kutelaba look like he's almost knocked out. Carl Roberson almost knocked him out. These are uh, Ian Kutelaba, particularly Anthony Smith, Tiago Santos, Carl Roberson. These are former 185ers. These are not Jiri Perhaska sized monsters. And they've all hurt him. Jiri can very well hurt this man. The question is, can he finish him once they're there? Right? Um, or will Glover just recover like he normally does and get back to work? Glover can absolutely submit this man, or he can he can likely take him down. Can he submit him once they get there, or will Jury explode back to his feet? <laughs> when he explodes back to his feet, his damage will come back. It's not like he's going to be exhausted like some of those other guys that I just mentioned, right? Jury's going to continue to put offense out there, and Glover's extremely hurtable. I agree with you on the Glover pick, I think, especially at these odds, right? Jury's only 2-0 in the UFC, and he only fought strikers. And you're telling me that Glover Teixeira is not a matchup that Glover can take advantage of? This wasn't for the title, right? If if we didn't have all this hype around Jiri, yeah, he got two impressive knockouts against two pretty good opponents who have not been looking great 
for a long time, mind you, right? But if this was just a regular fight, maybe a co-main event or a main event on a fight night card, Glover wasn't the champion. We would have been looking at Glover salivating, thinking like, oh, this is another one of these prospects that isn't ready for this shit, and let's see what Glover can do. He's done it time again. So time and time again, excuse me. So I, I'm going to side with Glover there too, but is it entirely possible that Jiri's uh, offense starts to build up, even if he is taken down, that he survives and gets back to his feet and continues to exert his hands on him? Absolutely, right? We've seen Glover is susceptible to the, to the uppercut, uh, to the jab. Jiri doesn't throw a lot of jabs, but that uppercut's probably going to be a part of his game. That flying knee has a similar effect to the uppercut where a lot of those guys that are trying to enter for that single or double leg are going to run right into it. Glover may very well run into that. Yes. And Gus's uppercut lit up to share it, but Desire was very tired at that point. True. And it was a different to share, but it was a share. was like five, six years younger. This is a 42 year old man granted in the shape of his life. And he has Alex Pereira trained with one of the best kickboxers on the planet who happens to have very, very similar dimensions to Jerry Prochowska. Danbury baby. Danbury. Yes, sir. Connecticut. Um, does Jerry have a high-level Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt Glover size to train with? Probably not. Not in the Czech Republic. Now, if he's training at Fight Ready, which, you know, I'm not sure how much of this camp he's spent there. I'm sure that will go a long way. But is it going to get his grappling to the point where it needs to be to survive against Glover as Glover's in mount or as Glover's got your back? I don't know. To Shira is, again, susceptible to some of those big strikes. He can absolutely be hurt. So it should be a pick it should be Glover Teixeira, ever so slight favorite. But at these odds, Glover Teixeira plus 170 for two points, Nick. You're making the right call. I think you made the right decision on this one, especially if you're going to pick from that Brendan Allen, Jacob Malcolm fight. It's because I need the points, you know. That's why I took this one I did. Anyway. No, no, I, I, I get that. Speaking of points, Nick, my next pick is going to be in the Brendan Allen, Jacob Malcolm fight. <laughs> and here's the thing. Brendan Allen is gritty. He's tough, man. He's really hard to finish. He can... He doesn't have the best defense. He doesn't move his head very well. He can get hit forever and not stop trying with his offense. He, he throws effective long-range straight shots. He has a really good ground game once they're on the ground. But his wrestling is really, really shitty, Nick. He has a really low takedown percentage in the UFC. He's been taken down a handful of times in the UFC by guys who aren't necessarily known for their wrestling even as much as Malcoon. Although Malcoon, like, he's had some grappling success. He hasn't looked like a dynamo in the grappling department, right? So... I just think he needs to get on top and stay safe. I think his boxing is pretty decent. He has a decent chance of having some moments uh, in the boxing realm against Brendan Allen. Obviously, Allen trains with one of the best teams in the world in Sanford MMA. He's improving on paper, at least. Um, but Jacob Malkoon trains with one of the very best fighters on the planet in this weight division. Arguably the best fighter. Arguably the guy that just beat the champion in uh, in uh, in Robert Whitaker. And that's his closest training partner. That's his business partner. They own a gym together, right? So there's a lot of reasons for Malcolm to have confidence riding a two-fight uh, two winning streak going into this one. He was sparked in his UFC debut, maybe wasn't ready, was going up against an extremely heavy hitter, um, who's also a wrestler. Brendan Allen has shit wrestling. Brendan Allen tends to be controlled even in fights that he wins at times. Can Malcolm do that? Yes, he can. Now, maybe I would have edged Brendan Allen if odds were closer. But if you give me a plus 250, you give me three points to take Jacob Malcolm, I'm going to fucking take it. He has a chance of getting takedowns, holding enough top position, and winning on the scorecards, especially against a bad wrestler who's granted a good grappler. I'm going to take Jacob Malcolm for three points. Cool. Um, for three points. Damn. Three points, motherfucker. Plus 250 on a couple of these, uh, couple of these sport books, next. Okay. Good opportunity. Um, we, got, we have limited time, so we're going to crank through the rest of these, although we'll need to take some time to at least talk about that, that one super big fight. Um, I'm going to go... 
with do, do, do. I just saw it. Where'd it go? Okay. I'm gonna take um I'm gonna take uh Sungwoo Choi over uh Josh Kulibao at um at one forty five, you know, in the, the uh, these uh these featherweight guys. Uh, even though he got choked out by Bruce Leroy, um I just you know, I not that big a fan of, of Kulibao. I liked I liked what the way that he came back against Charles Air Jordan. Um but I think that I think that Choi should be able to get it done here. Choi's got some firepower. He's huge. He's got power. Uh, we saw some of those holes in his conditioning, potentially, and his grappling in that last matchup. Justin Kulub, Joshua Kulubout keeps getting underestimated. The guy's actually really skilled. He's not that much smaller than Choi. Uh, he's a good counterfighter. He's an overall good stand-up fighter. He arguably beat Charles Jordan in their matchup a little while ago. And we've seen Charles Jordan look incredible since then. I, would I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go that the underdog far. For the points neck. <laughs> what do you mean? What are you talking about? Yeah, I guess he had the he had he lost. Well, he had a knockdown. He had takedowns against the guy. He he landed well against that guy. He he had a really good performance. I was questioning whether Charles Jordan has looked amazing since then. Oh, uh, oh, you're, yeah. He, okay, here. he beat Venata. He beat Ewell. Uh, he lost. He had that fight against Julian Arosa where he got he got beat up a little. It's he's fine. He's still he's been, he's fighting Shane Burgos uh, next month, which would be awesome. Dude, he's. He's wrecking fools. I think Charles Jordan is a good. Granted, he did have that like loss to Julian Arosa in a in a fight where he was doing well early, and then Julian Arosa, as he does, took over against the prospect late. But dude, like like Charles Jordan is not a bad fighter, and in my opinion, not necessarily he's not uh, a bad fighter above Sengu no. Choi, and that was super competitive at these odds, man. I would have probably taken a rider on uh, on the underdog. I, I see some opportunities here, man, on these underdogs. Of the four or five, two, maybe three are going to come through. And if you place bets on all of those underdogs, you know, the, the right amount of bets, you're going to end up ahead, Nick. Um, so I, I feel like a lot of these should be closer to pickums, and Sung Wu Choi is too big of a favorite in this one. But but I, I do feel you there, Nikolai. Uh, my next pick is going to be – let me see what my options are here. I think I'm going to go ahead and take another underdog pick, and I'm going to ensure that this is this is underdog takeable, right? First of all, in the Zhang Wei Li, Yoani and Jacek matchup, Nick, there are two – Oh, man. Books. Two sports book to have Joanna as an underdog. No, no, no. no. What do you mean? You, you. I'm looking at it right now. It's only one person has her. Only Bet three sixty five has her over plus Bet, Bet three sixty five. And if you go to FightOdds.io, there's a sports book called CloudBet that also has her at at least plus one fifty. That's we, two. Will, That's a crime. You, That's two, you, brother. You, we use best fight odds. Nikolai, I would've, I would've Nikolai, picked, I would have picked you. This. Nikolai, you introduced me to fightodds.io uh, several weeks ago when you wanted a two-point pick and you needed it. I'm going to go ahead and use it this time, my friend. That is two sport. You you confirm it. I, I, I did I send you the link? I just sent you the link. You confirm it, Nikolai. That's plus one fifty on on two odds. I'm going to take my girl Joanna Jacek. Now here's the thing. Joanna wait a minute. Been, no, it's yeah. not. Wait, quiet. Wait, wait. No, I'm, did I'm it change? You, uh, yes, on the thing you just sent me. Damn yes. it. Uh, there's only one. There's only one that has her at plus one fifty. Everyone yes. else is under. Nick, yes, and isn't that isn't that what I? Let me see. Hold on, hold on. Where's that matchup? There it is. One. Oh man, did they change it? Yes, dude, they just <laughs> updated it. That is ridiculous, Nick. 
Yeah, it's getting closer to it's getting it's every second it's getting closer to even. This is Nick. This is number one bullshit. Um, instead of that matchup, then Nick, you you sent you sent me the link and it just damn it. it Literally checked it right before we started recording, Nick, and the odds were the other way. So uh, I'm not I'm not very happy with this development. I'm I'm not going to lie to you. Um, all right. Instead of that one, then Nick. Instead of that pick, which now is just a pick 'em that's worth one point and could probably go either way. That changes the dynamic for me. Um, I guess I'm going to instead take Steve Garcia to beat Haisuer Mahashati. Um, Mahashati looked pretty decent in his contender series fight. He got touched up a little bit early, but he looked technical. He looked patient. He looked mature for a guy that's only like eight and one. But Steve Garcia has double the experience. He's got some UFC experience. He's he's kind of a, a high paced pressure fighter. Never gives up. Mentally really strong. Whereas um, uh, Mahashati has some good fundamentals, but he doesn't have the firepower, I don't think. He doesn't have the tenacity, I think, that he might need in this matchup. So for that reason, I'm going to side with Steve Garcia as my fifth pick. Okay. Um, now I think I'm going to do it, and uh, I'm going to go with Joanna Champion. To beat, Whatever, uh, Nick. This is bullshit. Took that away from me, dude. Um, I, listen, she's had a good long rest. She's still fucking ferocious. Whaley has been Whaley's been KO'd and through a war with Rose. Um, it's three rounds. And Whoa, Joanna's... Nick, 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 refresh that page right now. It's plus one fifty. That's my pick. No, it's not. You're big, big, we're not doing this. All right, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, wait, was it? Oh, <laughs> no, gonna... it's not. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> so. It threw off my analysis, man. So I <laughs> sorry, think, sorry. <laughs> like, I think this is. I think this fight's. I think this fight's going to be very, very close. But I think that we're going to see. I'm just such a believer in Joanna's fight, like in her fighting spirit, and I think she's going to be fast. I think she's going to be fast. I think that <clears throat> that uh, <clears throat> in a three, it's a three round fight. She doesn't get tired, and um, I just have a i just think that she's um i think we're going to see a vintage performance uh where she pours it on and she lands first um and and lands more um she may eat she may eat some big shots but i i you know it's questionable whether she won that first fight i think that the i think that we're going to see that the two years off uh has really benefited her um and I think she wins a, either a, either a close unanimous or a split decision. See, with the odds being closer to even, Nick, um, I'm kind of edging Zhang Wei Li by an inch, mostly because of that layoff that you just mentioned, right? Joanna has been vacationing. She's been she's been, you know, hand gliding and and like I don't waterboarding know, not, and all this stuff. Let's yeah. not make waterboarding. Let's not, yeah, let's she, not she's make been, she's been vacationing that. for a couple of years, Nick. And this is not yeah, water, water, like, waterboarding is torture. <laughs> Oh no, water <laughs> Nick, uh I it's definitely used the wrong one, term. One but... way to one way to work one way to work on your cardio is to have the American government pour <laughs> buckets of water down your throat through a towel. It's it's actually it's actually a, probably a great way to work on your mental game and Joanna and Jacek is just the kind of crazy human being that might do that. So look, Joanna's been vacationing, man. Yeah, she's been training, yeah, she's looks in phenomenal physical shape. She hasn't been going through the grind in the same way that Whaley has. She hasn't been improving in the same way that Whaley has. Now, in their first matchup, literally maybe the best fight in UFC history and MMA history. I thought Yoana Jacek 
probably edged her. I thought that the fact that Yojacek's head was swollen to the extent that it was made the judges kind of lean toward Whaley in, in a couple of close rounds that I thought should have gone to Joanna. In this matchup in a three-round fight where Joanna, you know, sometimes can take a little while to get going, whereas Zhang Weili's generally a, generally a fast starter, especially against an aggressive opponent. Zhang Weili's been adding elements to her game, right? She's been trading a fight ready. We saw new wrinkles to her game against Rosna Mayunas in the rematch where she arguably won that fight. A lot of folks think she deserved that one. She could be the champion now because she probably would have beaten Carlos Parza, right? So so Zhang Weili might, might be the best strawweight on the planet. Um, and Joanna and Jacek coming off a couple of years off um, I don't love that. I, I can see Wei Li Chang getting a couple of takedowns and scoring that way. She still has more power than Yuana, even though Yuana has got that pop, 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 pop. That, that's those snappy straight punches. Um, I'm going to edge ever so slightly for Zhang Wei Li. Yuana, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, almost didn't make weight and said that she might not make weight for her last matchup a couple of years ago. Grant that she's been looking in phenomenal shape. She looks motivated, but I don't love the two-year layoff. I like that Zhang Wei Li's actually been focusing on improving her game and on the grind and competing at the highest level while Yuan has been vacationing. So edge toward Wei Li Zhang at these odds. You give me Yuan at plus 150, though. I would have taken that rider all day. So we ever so slightly disagree on this one. Again, I'm super excited about this one. It's just I don't love the two-year layoff and the question marks that, that, that kind of come with it. Um, the dynamics at ATT have been a little bit different lately. Uh, Mike Thomas Brown didn't show up last week, and and you know uh, 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 Pahumpa had to fill in and like and like corner six America top team fighters. Wait, what do you Is, mean? What do you mean he? Did, what do you mean Mike Brown didn't show up? I'm I'm not sure what happened, but he wasn't able to be there last week, and I assume that was a last minute thing. Um, and that's you know Joanna's like head head coach at ATT, so I'm not sure what the dynamics are there. I'm not sure what's happening there. Maybe he is with her right now. Um, or maybe he took off last week because he was focusing on Joanna. It's entirely possible. It's a big matchup for her. It's important. The winner of this fight will end up fighting for the strawweight title in all likelihood um, against Carlos Barza. So I like Zhang, Wang Zhili. I think both of these girls have the have the skills to be champion in their next fight. So the winner of this probably will hold the title shortly. Um, but I, I'm going to edge toward the one that has been active and has been on the ground and has been actually on the grind and actually has been working on improving herself rather than just kind of taking a mental break like Joanna has. Um, next up, Nick, we've got uh, two fights left. I think I'm going to take... I think I'm going to take Liang Na to beat Silvana Gomez. Juarez, Juarez has some skill, but she just got smoked a couple times early uh, in her two UFC fights, whereas Liang Na looked pretty good for about a round and then and then got tired after that. I think Liang Na might have the grappling to finish Gomez early based on what we've seen lately. So I, I expect this could be a, an early finish um, for Liang Na. So the last fight then is at Bantamweight. It's Dana uh, Batgarel. Yeah, Batgarel against Kung Hyun Kong. Uh, I'm going to go with Batgarel. Yeah, I don't blame you. The thing about Bud Gorell is he usually trains at Jackson Wink, which is terrible. But lately he's been at Tiger Muay Thai, which I think is really good for him. Kyung Ho Kang, though, is like underrated, man. He's really skilled. He's talented. He doesn't have the firepower of Dana. Um, I, I probably, I'm going to disagree with you by, by a slight edge there, but I, I understand why you're making the pick. It's, you know, it, it's, it's a super debatable one. It could go either way. I, I just like uh, Kang Kyung Ho's edge on the ground. Whereas standing up, he should be competitive. He might have the firepower, but he's a little bit bigger. On the ground, he should have the edge is what I'm thinking. Can he get takedowns? I don't know. But um, I'm going to go the other way on this one in a fight that could go either way. Good one, man. Good yes, one. Sir. Yes, sir. I can't wait to watch these fights. I can't wait to text you during it. I hope you're watching it live. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk to everybody next for the next one, which is the amazing fight of Calvin Cater against Josh Emmett. It's going to be fucking awesome. 
cannot fucking wait. We got. Uh, hopefully, it's an overall good card because we got a great card this weekend, man. I'm so psyched. Yeah. For this. Have a great rest of your week, bud.